This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. This is Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Scott. This is our Christmas edition. Okay. <laughs> it's like the last day of Hanukkah, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Good stuff. <laughs> Molly was dead to begin with, and and that's as far oh. as I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> um, that reminds me that there's a new book on um, called Drood by Dan Simmons. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Thinking, I'm thinking of starting that, but I hear it's huge. Oh, it's giant. I saw it in the bookstore, I believe. Unless okay. I confuse that with the Terror. The Terror is another giant one, but one that I really want to get read. Um, yeah, I, I think that the terror only exists in um, abridged audio, but it's it's still giant, even abridged. Um, I, I you know what? I didn't, I didn't, that I didn't look that up before the podcast, obviously. But um, we'll I was that. on Paperback Swap one time, which is a mm-hmm. site that I'm really loving a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found the terror audiobook, but it was abridged. So I well, I'm maybe Audible only. has an unabridged version. Maybe they do. Sometimes they do that. Perhaps. A um, couple, of, couple of things. Um, speaking of Christmas, I got a Christmas story in the mail from James Powell uh-huh. uh, oh. in the latest Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Um, the first sentence reads, The last Halloween jack-o'-lantern had hardly been drop-kicked out into the middle of the street when it was boots on the ground for Santa's crack naval commando unit, the, com- cr- the Christmas Seals. Huh. It's it's like a surreal, oh man, <laughs> surreal Christmas story. Oh, I wanna I wanna read that. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, it's, t- it's titled "The Black Whatever." <laughs> <laughs> Very I cool. don't know. It almost sounds like a, a Richard Stark opening line. You know, mm-hmm. um, when the doorbell rang, Parker was in the garage killing a man. It's uh, <laughs> it's like a very start action-y start to uh, a story. Oh my gosh. That's funny. That's funny. I uh, I was listening to um, NPR last night mm-hmm. um, and I caught the tail end. I- I'm guessing it was a selected short show but I'm not positive. But at the very end of the show they had a few more minutes so they read um, Twas a Night Before Christmas but in the style of uh, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> it was funny. That would be good. Oh, it was funny. Yeah. Ernest Hemingway's got a real style you can make fun of, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since there was, yeah, uh, you know, there was no creature stirring. Not even a <laughs> mouse was stirring, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the guy who was reading it was uh, very good. It was funny. Super simple. Yeah. Super simple <laughs> sense. Yeah. Actually, you know, um, for there aren't that many mainstream writers, I guess is what I would call them. Uh, who I like to read, but I do like to read Hemingway. Mm-hmm. I don't find his his stories all that compelling, but I really like the way he writes. Oh, neat! It reminds me. Um, there's a a really good um, audiobook called The Hemingway Hoax by Joe Haldeman. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you read that? I have. Yeah, listen to it. Yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. it's very uh, it's about Hemingway too, which is kind of funny and based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, that's that, that I didn't know. Based on a true story. Yeah, it's based on a true story in the sense that um, 
Hemingway, his, one of his wives was on a train uh, to meet him in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had his first novel and a bunch of short stories in her bag. And the bag was stolen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the premise of the... Of the, of the, that's the premise. Mm-hmm. The premise of the story is that um, a Hemingway scholar who, I, I guess, failed to get tenure, is going to knock off some early Hemingway and pass it off as the real stuff. Right. Yep. And uh, the problem is, is he, he starts doing this and then uh, uh, interdimensional traveler arrives in his living room and says, if you finish that novel, I'll kill you. <laughs> because you're going to destroy the universe or something like that. I, so so that part really isn't like, true then. No, well, <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is uh, Joe Haldeman is a Hemingway scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, he did get tenure, though. So the question is, uh, maybe it's the ending that's different, right? Uh-huh. He, he has tenure at MIT. Oh, that's neat. Um, yeah. He's also named, did you see, uh, he's going to be named a Grandmaster? Yeah, I did. That's great. I mean, yeah. that, definitely well deserved, like you were saying. But yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. not Hemingway's the grandmaster, <laughs> but but Joe Haldeman. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, if you know the way it works, you have to be nominated while you're still alive, and I hear he's not doing very well right now. Oh really? Oh, I didn't hear. I, I didn't some know that. very uh, bad health issue problems just happened. He was in hospital or something. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah. yeah I was uh, years ago. Um, looking at his website, um, and he pointed from the website towards a poet named Billy Collins. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been just loving Billy Collins. Um, if you want to uh, take it or, or hear some of that that guy's poetry, he has a free album on the internet called "The Best Cigarette," mm-hmm. and it's just a about an hour long recording of uh, poems. <laughs> and uh, it's great. It's really fantastic. He's um he's actually quite a eclectic guy. He has a lot uh Haldeman, I mean. Mm-hmm. He's a lot of um He's actually a good speaker too if you if you've heard him talk uh nonfiction. Well, I, I heard him talk on uh I think it was iTunes U. Mm-hmm. Had a lecture of his or a conversation. Um wasn't there two people in in that one? No uh, doubt, yeah. But uh, about science fiction writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's still there or not, but yeah. So um, I wanted to show you this picture I got up on uh, Flickr. Oh, uh huh. Um, you got it there. I am opening it right now. Cool. Let's see. Boom. Let's see if you recognize anyone in that picture. Whoops. Namely, the guy in the middle. Hey, <laughs> hold on a second. It's a, it's Vincent, a photo of Vincent a photo. Price. Vincent yeah. Price. Yep. That's. Uh, Vincent Price in the middle there, uh-huh. um, and the guy on the right is uh, one of my uncles, my uncle Paul, and the guy on the uh, left of L- Vincent Price is my uncle Paul's writing partner, um, who I will not name because I can't remember his name. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my uncle Paul oh. is deceased. Vincent mm-hmm. Price is deceased, and the uh, writing partner is deceased. Oh. But uh, this was taken in, I guess, the 1970s, early 70s? No, late late 60s or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, when they were doing a show together called uh, The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. <laughs> um, right. Which was apparently shot over a, a nine-month period. 
130 episodes. Which really? Is wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's, it's got a DVD release. I, I've never seen it. I've uh, uh-huh. seen YouTube clips. But um, it's an interesting story. My uncle, uh, one of my uncles, my uncle David, was telling me about, about this photograph and uh, how my uncle Paul got the job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting story, and it's a world exclusive story. All right. Okay. Can't wait to hear um, it. If, yeah. you go to, if you even go to Wikipedia, it doesn't have this detail. Mm-hmm. Um, if not homosexual, Vincent Price was bisexual. Uh huh. Because my uncle Paul's writing partner was gay, and apparently they were lovers. That's how he got the job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is that shocking? <laughs> Vincent Price is gay? Or bisexual? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it kind of makes sense. He's sort of an actory guy. Uh-huh. You know, actors tend to uh, be stagey, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I never, I never, uh, I never thought. Hmm. Vincent Price definitely gay. Mm-hmm. Never occurred to me. Um, yeah. But it kind of makes sense. I was reading uh, around the internet, and apparently his daughter mentions. Uh, something about his sexuality in her book on him, on his mm. life. I see. But uh, interesting. Yeah, um, definitely Mon- interesting. This, this is the same Uncle Paul of mine who um, did CBC radio drama years and years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you I remember? Know? Maybe I did. Maybe I, told did. You, I told you he did uh, a show. It's like a, um, it was like a soap opera. It was on every day. Uh-huh. Family in Toronto. Oh, Cool. And he was he in the Vancouver area? Mm-mm. He lived in Toronto. Oh, in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, that's where the cultural center is, I guess. Yeah. Now it's. I mean, lots of films being made in Vancouver, huh? It's true, but they're almost all American science fiction shows. Are know? they? <laughs> yeah. It's an so, American science fiction mecca. Yeah, basically. Hmm. Um, we may, we have the Beachcombers out here. That was our big. Uh, Cultural legacy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so Battlestar Galactica, you know, it stars a bunch of uh, Canadian actors, but really, it's, it's an American show. So, uh-huh. wow, etc. etc. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I, I looked up the terror while we were uh, after I uh, said what I said. Mm-hmm. It looks like it does exist unabridged, but it's from books on tape, so I don't know if it's still available. But Amazon lists a books on tape version, and I can't see who the narrator is. Okay. Um, but the abridged version is the one that is available. And uh, I don't see the narrator there either. It's, it's from uh, Pat, like Pat Northern, Audio. It's a northern journey sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's um, about a ship named the Terror. Is that right? Um. Says the fate of Sir John Franklin's last expedition remains one of the great mysteries of Arctic Arctic exploration. What we know more or less is this: in the balmy days of May 1845, 129 officers and men aboard two ships, Erebus and Terror, departed from England from for the Canadian Arctic in search of a northwest passage to the Pacific. They were never heard from again. So, is that a true story? That part? Uh well. Search for the Northwest Passage has been a huge uh-huh. thing. I mean, yep. um, for local history here, um, some of the I was I've been reading a book about, or I had been reading a book. I had to take it back to the library uh-huh. um, about the um, history of British Columbia. And 
one of the one of the things they say is the first Europeans to reach North America or this part of North America um, may have been uh, Sir Francis Drake, who was like a notorious privateer for Queen Victoria, uh, not Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth the first. Mm-hmm. Um, he was circumnavigating the world, and um, he w- may have been on a secret mission to us passage. Huh. Um, so there's some evidence for that. Um, later on, there was a, a a story about a Greek um, sailor who was shafted out of his his money uh, for helping to find what may have been the Northwest Passage. Um, his name was Juan de Fuca. That was his his uh, uh, spe- mm. and Juan de Fuca is the strait that's in between Vancouver and um, the Vancouver Island. Um, so the, the, even if he never never actually came, if it's only a story, they're still naming things after him. Oh, I see. And then later on, they you know they keep exploring the coast. Captain Cook came here before he went to Hawaii and got killed, uh, looking for the Northwest Passage. And then um, uh, Captain George Vancouver eventually came and um, mapped up all the coast pretty darn well. And they eventually figured out, you know what? All these inlets, none of them are a Northwest <laughs> Passage. Wow. Um, I think the terror is going the eastern route versus uh-huh. uh, the western route. Yeah. This reviewer from the Washington Post says it's a sort of Patrick O'Brien meets Edgar Allan Poe against the backdrop of a JMW Turner ice scape. JNW? JMW Turner. Oh, I've never heard JMW Turner. It must be uh, an artist. Okay. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, are you looking them up? Uh, I can, sure. J.M. Turner. J.M.W. Turner. Boom. Yeah, artist. Romantic landscape watercolorist. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, nice pi- nice pictures. Yep. So. Very nice. Anyway, yep, so Hachette Audio has an abridged edition that came out this year. Um, you you still haven't heard this, right? You're you're talking. No, about I haven't. I haven't heard here. it. No. You we're wanted just, to hear it. We were just mentioning it, mentioning it, and I said that it was only available abridged, which is why I looked it up more because I didn't want to be wrong. Yeah, but, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, I I read very little Dan Simmons, but what I've read, I kind of liked. Yeah, it's read by Simon Vance. The abridged version is read oh, by he's Simon good. Vance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Fascinating. Well, I've got some uh, things that have come in. Okay. We'll talk about that stuff. Yeah. Um, first, I have the HP Lovecraft Radio Hour, Volume 1. Um, www.lovecraftradio.com or changingelevations.com. And uh, what this is, it's a one CD. Um, it's a collection of HP Lovecraft short stories on CD, complete with dialogue, sound effects, and music. There are also original comedic sketches based on Lovecraft's mythos that act to cleanse your listening palate between his tales of terror. That's just from a letter that they sent with it. Um, The table of contents includes, there's an intro and then uh, one called Picture in the House, and then Cthulhu and the Relay Riders, Dagon. It's hard to pronounce those words. Yeah, Dagon, The Iron Cauldron, and Beyond the Wall of Sleep. All on one CD. Nope. Wait a minute. Two CDs. 
Hold on. So this is not is this is not from CD. Nope, just one CD. Sorry, one CD. Okay. This is not from uh, the traditional H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft's Historical Society. This is from someone else, right? Yeah, LovecraftRadio.com. Okay. Yeah, and it looks like uh, this is going to be the first of a uh, few that they're planned. Oh, cool. Uh, it's um, it's interesting because Lovecraft is so popular, and because he's he's virtually all public domain, mm-hmm. uh, anybody can do anything. With it, and that means there's a lot more options, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Dagon's been released uh, at least half a dozen times in different versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good story. There's even a movie version of it. Um, yeah. Here's a, uh, a, a bit from their website. We mm-hmm. need your original interlude ideas for H.P. Lovecraft Radio Hour Volume 2. If you have a Lovecraft-inspired comedy sketch that is eating your brain from the inside out, <laughs> submit it to our Join the Cult contest. Full details on the entry page. That's on lovecraftradio.com. Cool. Yeah. That would be neat. All right. Uh, got a couple here from Blackstone. Um, oh. First is... Uh, Bur- uh, my wife keeps correcting me, and now I don't know if I'm saying it right. <laughs> Spell it. It's, it's Barrier. B-R-B-A-R-R. Barrier. Barrier. All right. Barrier. Thank you very much. Uh, Lois McMaster Bujold, read by Grover Gardner, unabridged. Um, and with this one, I believe the series is complete, except for there's a book, I think it was called The Mountains of Morning, that had some uh, novelettes and novellas in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the Blackstone has done that, but the original Reader's Chair did it. Um, I'm sure that's extremely hard to find now. Yeah, it would um, be. And I don't know if Blackstone's planning on doing it, but... Um, you know, hopefully so. But but with this novel, uh, the series is pretty much complete. Um, the the only thing is, Falling Free uh, seems to be available only on Audible. Uh, I would assume they're going to come out with a hard copy, but I don't think one exists right now. But yeah, Falling probably. Free is available on uh, from Blackstone, but on Audible. Audible's finishing off a lot of series. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing how much they put out in. Yeah, they, they kind of came out with these in a in a strange order. I think that they they came out with the latest one first, and then they kind of went back and got the award winners because she's won uh, Hugo's and Nebula's for some of these, and then they kind of filled in the gaps. So uh, now uh, this is, I think, the second novel in the series or something like that. But anyway, now uh, it's all available. Yeah. So if you've been waiting for them to become all available, now's your chance. Um, and I've, Barry I've R is, is oh. the third novel after Falling Free and Shards of Honor. Okay. But there's a short story that pre- precedes yeah, them. And Falling, so. Free, Falling Free is a really good one. I listened to the Reader's Chair version of that, and there's a, a really short review on the site from a long, long time ago. Um, but Falling Free is not... It's in the same universe, but it's it takes place like a hundred years before the events of everything else. So there's no Vorkosigan in it. Right. Um, it's about a guy who goes to a space station that is um, the the people the workers are all genetically engineered mutants that have arms instead of legs. So they've got they have arms for legs. Arms for legs. Uh, which makes them really handy, yeah, ha, 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 in the uh, in zero gravity. So um, they're just genetically engineered to be workers in zero g, 
and there's uh, slavery issues and uh, uh, company ownership issues. Um, it's a really good book. It's a really good book, and that one, won, that one won the Nebula. Quadis, yeah, Quadis are what they're called. And uh, because they were genetically engineered by a company, the company believes that they own all of them. And, of course, uh, the natural storyline is Rebellion, which is definitely where it goes. But Lois McMaster-Bijold, she tells a great story. So um, that's all that's predictable about it is that, I believe. And, uh, it's one of the first uh, reviews on the websites back from 2003. Yeah, yeah, it's an old one. July. But the, that, that audiobook was really good. The, the Reader's Chair... Um, you know, I'm not really sure what happened there, but um, they they were all read by uh, a pair of people, Michael Hanlon and Carol Cohen, I believe. Sounds something sounds like that. Right. Michael anyway, Hansen and Carol Cohen. Okay, yeah. Hansen and Carol Cohen. Yeah, they um, uh, they they read them. You know, so it was a kind of a tag team uh, uh, audio male reading the male and female reading the female. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't. There were very few times where they would read the dialogue to each other, um, but there were times where that was, POV shifting, I guess, yeah, is what exactly. It. it was really more of a POV shifting. So they were one of the earlier ones to do that, mm-hmm. and they were really great audiobooks. And I'm not sure why they uh, didn't survive, but they did. Just makes them collectible. Yeah, yeah, it's distribution. That's the that's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. Is is it's not producing quality product, but it's getting it into the hands of people. Mm-hmm. And and that's the hardest part. That's why Audible is helping a lot of little companies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because it's a, just a big marketplace where everybody who who knows, you know, I'm looking for audiobooks, they can go there. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm fairly sure um, that the Reader's Chair did some Dean Koontz novels, and I believe that they did one called Hideaway, which I remember listening to. But the Hideaway... Uh, has been picked up, and I think that it's on Audible, but it's not. It's no longer a reader's chair title, but they, they grabbed the same pair of narrators. Um, you think they redid it? No, I don't think that they redid it. I think that they uh, bought that recording and then uh, you know started to resell it. I'm kind of looking for it right now. But Hideaway, yeah. Hideaway was a, a really good book. It's, uh, Brilliance has it, yeah. Brilliance has it, okay. But it's yeah. got those same narrators, I think, right? Yeah, it does. Okay, so they bought a couple of those coots. And there was two or three that they did. Um, but Hideaway is about... The I, Bad it was, it was a movie. also by uh, uh, yeah. Carol Cohen and Michael Hansen. Good, yeah. So... Uh, Hideaway, We've got a, Hideaway a is about... page in case people are wondering how to... Uh, how to find this out, just go to our author's pages section and click on Dean Coons. Cool. Yeah, Hideaway is about um, a guy who has a um, a car accident and almost dies, but comes back kind of with uh, uh, some kind of a spirit inside him. And uh, at the same time, someone else almost died, but he came back with the uh, opposite number spirit inside him. And they end up, they're connected in some way, so he can see the bad guy do what the bad guy does and ends up having to go after him because the bad guy's really bad. <laughs> anyway, now, Dean my Coons, only question, mm-hmm. does it include a talking dog? No, no, I don't think it does. I'm not sure it's Dean Koontz then. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. Funny. Yeah, Dragon Tears was probably the first Dean Koontz I ever heard, and it had a dog in there that... There were sections of the book written from the dog's point of view. Not a lot of it, but it was it was great. One Very of my fun. hobby horses. Jay Sanders read that. I can still hear his voice. 
dog. Good dog. Good dog. He really wanted to be a good dog. And uh, Jay Sanders read it beautifully. And I know Jay, it's still a bit. J.O. Sanders, you mean, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. J.O. Sanders, yep. <clears throat> he always plays the bad guys when he's in movies. Yeah, in the uh, police procedurals. Yeah, or, you know, he's like a corporate executive who's, you know, I don't know. He's always the bad guy. <laughs> always the bad guy. I watched, um, not too long ago, uh, The Day After Tomorrow. He was, oh, a yeah. good, he was a good guy in that one. Was he? Yeah. I bet he died. He did. Yeah. Sorry for the spoiler, but yeah. He can be a good guy and then he dies. But he was really good. <laughs> I think, yeah, he, he, he's, he's like, um, his other acting is, um, you know, he, he'd make a good father character. Uh-huh. Who's like, uh, uh, sort of not, he, he never plays the, the dead straight lead, right? Mm-hmm. He's always like the assistant to the main character. Right, and that's that's what he was in Day After In either tomorrow. being a villain or a, or a, you know, a good person. But either way, he, he's uh, he's like, a, you know, the standard British actor who plays the villain. Uh-huh. But yep, yep, he's yep. a great narrator. Yeah, he is. He's fantastic. Fantastic. All right. What else you got there? I got here from um, Blackstone as well. This is one of the Berserker novels by Fred Saberhagen. And I've never read any of these, um, what about but this one is called, no, I, I haven't, oh. uh, Rogue Berserker by Fred Saberhagen. Um, Harry Silver has already had a lifetime of trouble from ordinary berserkers, the automated killing machines programmed an age ago to denude the galaxy of life. But now one of these machines has gone rogue and kidnapped his own family. What worse devilry will a deviant killing machine attempt? How will he stop it? And even if he can, will he ever see his family alive again? So there's that. So you've, you've read these? Berserker. Berserker. I've read, um, I, th- I think the first one I read was a um, uh, short story in Omni uh, called oh. The Adventure of the Metal Murderer. Hmm. It's, a, it's a regular Berserker story in that it's about humans from the Earth Empire fighting against the evil robots that want to kill everybody. Uh-huh. Um, but it's got twist in the, it's a, it's a time travel and Sherlock Holmes story. So oh, cool. the, uh, the two ships are fighting, right? The human ship and the berserker ship and, um, the berserker ship travels back in time. So the human survivor has to chase it because if he gets back in time before humans have invented, uh, uh, technology to fight, and the berserkers will wipe out man before man is able to defeat them. Right, mm-hmm. so he has to chase him back in time. It, I guess that's uh, sort of a, a continuing meme. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> he heads back in time, and uh, then uh, we get a uh, all the time travel stuff, and we also get the um, the Sherlock Holmes. Right mm-hmm. um, yeah. now. Is the human Sherlock Holmes, or is it the robot? That's Ooh, Sherlock Holmes? Oh. good question. It's a good one. Very nice. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've read a, a bunch of short stories. I think there's a short. The first collection of Berserker stuff is a, it looks like a novel, but it's actually a, um, maybe it's just called Berserker. There's uh-huh. A bunch of short stories, and they're all good. Um, oftentimes, there there uh, there's another one called Wings Out of Shadow, which was also excellent. Um, short story it's got a um it's from dh audio mm-hmm. years ago 
uh, one of the Isaac Asimov best of collections. And that one is um, uh, the Berserkers are having a tough time defeating the humans. So what they do is they uh, embody uh, personalities to their uh, soldiers, the robot soldiers, um, that are analogous to human personalities. Uh-huh. So they um, they cl- they don't clone. What they do is they 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 um, uh, program a bunch of uh, space fighting aircraft or whatever I guess spacecraft um, to be like the um, flying circus from World War One. Uh-huh. You know the um, uh, Red Baron. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a whole bunch of um, dogfighting uh, robots that mm-hmm. all have personalities from World War One fighter pilots. Oh wow! And, uh, one of them is the Red Baron. Another one is Hermann Goering, and a whole bunch. Oh, that's it's very cool. interesting. It is interesting. Well, well done to story too. Good. Very cool. Yeah, definitely worth doing. I- I'm not sure. Uh, I've never tried the novel length. I don't think, but uh-huh. uh, it might be interesting. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be well known for other stuff, you know. Uh, Fred Saberhagen, you know, you think him berserker. That's what you think, right? Right. Have you read anything else by him? No, I haven't. Um, there was another audiobook that came through here that I know got reviewed, and the the reviewer talked to me about that one. But gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it was kind of a science fantasy novel, and it was also from Blackstone. Um, Trying to spot spot yeah. what we got. It may have had more than one author, Saberhagen and somebody. Um, Could be. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's doing some But anyway, uh, that one was interesting to me. Who's the narrator, did you say? Uh, The narrator is Paul Michael Garcia. Oh, yeah, he's good. Oh, yeah, terrific. I'm just looking through the list of uh, recent arrivals. From 2007, we got a Berserker Fury, Uh also read by him. Okay. Uh, Paul Michael Garcia and uh, Empire of the East was that? That it? was it. Yeah, that was it. All right. Yeah, and it's uh, there. There should be a review up of that one, and it, it's a science fantasy novel, kind of, you know, a future so far away that uh, science is now magical type of uh, story, ah, okay. where you know people don't, you know, anyone who knows how to do science is kind of a magician. Right. Yep. Well, any sufficiently advanced magic is indistinguishable from technology. <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah, strike or vice that, versa. Strike that, reverse it, right? Willy Wonka. Yeah. You bet. I thought you were going to say Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yes. It's like a, it's a, just a way of ending a conversation. <laughs> Willy Wonka, man. <laughs> oh, it's not true. And then some. Uh, all I'm right. afraid uh, uh, I don't see a review of it here. What's that? I don't see a review. Really? Of Empire um, of the East. I could gosh, be unable to find it because of poor typing skills, but I don't uh, see it. Okay. What else you got? All right. Uh, one from Penguin Audio called Fire. It is uh, by Kristen K. Shore, read by Xanth Elbrick. Uh, okay, yeah, it's not a peaceful time in the Dells. The young King Nash clings to his throne while rebel lords in the north and south build armies to unseat him. The mountains and forests are filled with spies and thieves and lawless men. This is where fire lives, fire with a capital F, with a wild, 
Irresistible appearance and hair the color of flame, fire is the last remaining human monster. Equally hated and adored, she has a unique ability to control minds, but she guards her power, unwilling to steal the secrets of innocent people, especially when she has so many of her own. Thence print then Prince Brigand comes to bring her to King City. The royal family needs her help to uncover the plot against the king. Far away from home, Fire begins to realize there's more to her power than she ever dreamed. Her power could save the kingdom, if only she weren't afraid of becoming the monster her father was. And it says it's uh, this romantic companion to the highly praised Graceling has an entirely new cast of characters save one. Now Graceling uh, was done by Full Cast Audio. They've got a, a version of Graceling. So this fire is done by Penguin. And it's not a full cast reading, obviously, but uh But the fire is the sequel to the, the It other. says it's a companion, yeah. Companion, okay. Yeah, it must be the same universe. Well in the same something. series, yeah, something like that. Yeah, an entirely new cast of characters save one. You don't have to read Gracing the Love Fire, but if you haven't, you'll be dying to read it next. Is this YA, do you think? Um Let's see, there's no nothing on here that says YA, but uh Graceling, I believe, was YA. Okay. Yeah, I... I uh, do we had a review yeah, of Graceling? It says, says Graceling. No, we don't. Uh, oh. Graceling, uh, Kristen Kayshore's first book, was an ALA best book for young adults. Fire is her second book. Okay. So. Yeah, young adults. Um, okay. I did find that Fred Sagan Harriman review of Fire of the East. I just have poor typing skills. Oh, you have poor typing skills. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. A anything else? Yeah, I got one more. Well, actually, two more. Okay. Um, Orson Scott Carr's latest. It's called Hidden Empire. Came in from Macmillan Audio. Uh, at the close of Empire, political scientist and government advisor Averill Torrent had maneuvered himself into the presidency of the United States. And now that he has complete power at home, he plans to expand American imperial power around the world. Uh, opportunity comes quickly. There's a deadly new plague in Africa, and it's devastated the countryside and cities. So um, it goes on. Um, if Cole and his team, Cole, Captain Bartholomew Coleman, Cole to his friends, will run the relief operations and protect American civilian health volunteers, including Cecily Malik and her son. If Cole and his team can avoid dying of the plague or being cut down by the weapons of the fearful African nations, they might do some good, or they might be out of the way for good. So this is not the same as the uh, the Empire, uh, the the one that they made a video game out of. Well, you know, I don't understand what the connection is, um, but but as I understand that there is a connection, and the the game is called Shadow Something. Okay. I played it. What is it called? <laughs> I played the game and I loved it. Um, I'm not a huge gamer, um, so I'm, I'm wondering if uh, folks would find it too easy. Um, but I was able to uh, get through it and finish it, and I enjoyed it. It's one of those, uh, I don't know what you call them, they, they, they're left and right games, you know, the, the, the screen scrolls. Side scroller. Side scroller, right. Um, it's one of those type of games, you know, the best of that type I've ever played. Um, but it's an extremely fun game. It was a download for the Xbox 360. Xbox. Yeah, that's a new new trend. Is is not selling a uh, hard copy, but yeah, just 
And the, doing, the doing price was extremely good. It was like $20, I think. Okay. And, uh, you know, it took me probably... That's your money's worth? Oh, yeah. It took me probably two weeks to finish it, you know, playing at the rate that I play, you know, um, which is not uh, often. Okay. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun. And then it's the a premise, single player, I the guess. The premise of that game, you know, so I, I, I don't know that if Orson Scott Card, you know, wrote the script for that. No, actually, Peter David did. I remember reading that, but Peter David, uh, I don't know if he used Orson Scott Card's story, but uh, Card is connected somehow, but it's not, you know, it doesn't say, you know, Orson Scott Card's shadow or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? What was uh, it? Shadow, yeah. shadow X-Boss, I can't remember the name of it, it bothers me that I can't remember. Shadow Complex, that's what it's called. So the story of the game is, <coughs> there's this couple camping out in the woods and uh someone steals the woman and she's carried screaming through the woods and you're the guy so you uh chase her because you kind of like her and uh she ends up she had been taken by this shadow complex which is a secret underground um kind of a civil war machine uh it's basically an army that's being created to take over the United States from the inside. Okay. Okay. And there's a lot of futuristic things in there, um, you know, the weapons and everything. Um, and you it's end pretty up, highly rated. I'm looking yeah, at the it's a terrific game. Absolutely terrific. And you, the, the story is cool, and the the uh, the game is just a lot of fun. And you run around and you collect these weapons, you know. So. Uh, this book, Empire, as I read the description of it, uh, Hidden Empire, uh, I just don't get the connection. Um, it says here that there's uh, uh, the war of world, the war of words between right and left collapsed into a shooting war and raged between the high technology weapons on each side until loyal, loyal soldiers restored, restored lawful government. But that's not at all what Shadow Complex is. So. Um, I just really don't understand the connection. Maybe I'll listen to the book and, and see. Um, but I did... Maybe, maybe very tenuous. Yeah, I, I think it is very tenuous. And, and it could be that uh, he came up with the story idea and then they went a different direction. I don't know. Um, but the game is terrific. Um, it's almost like he has a patent on... Uh on the word shadow, you know, oh, all yeah. the shadow books he's done. That might be the entire entirety <laughs> of the connection. That's right. And that, yeah. Shadow and that of the Hegemon, shadow. shadow puppets, and yeah. shadow, shadow yeah, of the right. giant. Exactly. But those are, Shadows yeah. in flight. That's Obviously nice. those uh, have a different meaning than they do in the shadow complex, but. Good, good point. Yeah. yeah. But I, I heard, had heard there was um, some pathetic uh, attempt to boycott the game because of, Orson Scott Card's uh, involvement. Had you uh -huh. heard about? I did hear about that, and Stupid. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, when people do that, because you know, if I boycotted every author whose political views I disagreed with, I would get much reading done. You know, um, th that's just, you, that's you, just you, how I feel about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know whatever. You know, but uh, you know, it's everybody's right to do so. Obviously, you know, and. You don't want to read the books, don't read the books, but um, or play the games. <laughs> or play the games, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, but well, it's it's the I think it's their way of you know uh, 
point it, uh, you, the way you could think about it is is there is there a way of pointing out that um there's a reason perhaps for other people not to read the books mm, right so sure. uh-huh. uh, i'm sure not everybody who reads orson scott card books or plays orson scott card video games for that matter um knows of orson scott cards political views on homosexuality etc i guess they're not yeah. political views they're religious views sure. whatever yeah. um that that's uh that's going to af- affect the sales um it, it probably will affect the sales but to what extent is not going to be easily known because he sells pretty well apparently yeah 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 um, yeah, it looks uh, side scrollers old fashioned. I haven't. I haven't yeah, seen it. that's why you know it's a surprise. You, they don't make those anymore. But man, this one was uh, better than any one that I've ever played. It was great fun. There's kind of this uh, this idea of there's two kinds of game gamers. There's the people who who are hardcore gamers, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I'd be kind of one of those. And then there's people who who don't have as much time to put into it, and so they're casual gamers. Uh-huh. And the casual gaming has to be, you know, get in out really easily very quickly. Like Fallout 3 is not a casual game. Right. Yeah. And and you haven't finished that, right? No, I haven't no. In fact, not uh, even close, right? I've fallen out of it so far that I, you know, every time I play it there's like a learning curve. All right, how do I shoot this thing? Again? How do I do that again? <laughs> yeah. So I I've played uh Fallout 3 for probably a total of 8 hours. Yeah. <clears throat> now you, you would think that'd be enough, but yeah, no. Yeah. You've got to do up a 40, up 40 or 50 hours to play. <clears throat> right, right. right. Um, whereas this one you said uh, a couple of weeks and... Yeah, a couple of weeks, you know, and, and I was, you know, eager to get back to it. Usually, you know, I'd get stuck, you know, and I'm sitting there trying, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? And then um, I'd stop playing, and then the next day I'd pick it up, and then the uh, answer was obvious. Oh, okay. But that would happen a lot, you know, it's like... It, I don't know if the problem brewed overnight or just when I turned it back on, I was like, oh, look at that, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was neat. There was a lot of puzzles to solve, but they were they were just difficult enough for me. That's, <laughs> that's that, yeah. what you want. You want to be able exactly. to overcome small difficulties and not yeah. uh, be angry at the game all the time. I, I told you about the problems I've been having with uh, the DRM on uh, oh, uh, yeah. this Call of Duty game I it's right. not Call of Duty. Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bought this. I bought this Medal of Honor set. Uh, it includes five games in it, and I played the first four. And I installed the fifth one, and it won't. It won't accept the code. Uh-huh. And I think it was because my internet connection went off for a minute or something. Oh Maybe. yeah, I'm not sure. Um, and eventually, I, I spent at least an hour and a half trying to get it to work, and I eventually. Ended up on the Pirate Bay message boards, talking about how other people are having this trouble and how they solved it. So I have a legitimate copy of the game, and I had to use a. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't even register to com- you know get help from from the website from EA because my code was invalid, even though it wasn't invalid because I had tried it. I guess three times and it had failed three mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. i couldn't use it i don't know yeah anyways I, I stopped and played the game but uh it is installed now it wouldn't even install before oh that's good yeah so i'm going to play it at some point <laughs> very nice very nice <laughs> so 
Cool. That's enough on games. Any any other? The only other one I really wanted to mention today was they're made out of meat. They're made out of meat. They're made out of meat. Yes. How There's can a... they be made out of meat? <laughs> you bet. There's a. Um, let's see. Shoot, I, I can't Terry remember the guy's Bisson. name. His name Terry is Bisson. Fred something. Different... Yeah, Terry, Fred. Terry Bisson wrote the original story. They're made out of meat. And Fredosphere. And Fredosphere, yeah, he wrote or he performed a kind of a jazz improv. I, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, the, the it's a very thing, literal uh, version of the of the story, yeah, but it's a musical. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. I, I was really out of meat. Yeah, I don't understand. How can they be made out of meat? <laughs> Heck yeah! It's it's a it's a story about a um, aliens uh-huh. uh, talking about humans. Right, right. And every alien they've ever met has been uh, made out of silicon, I guess. Uh-huh. And, and and talk about how no, these aliens are different. They're they're, they're made out of meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how can and, they do that when they're made out of meat? How can they talk? Well, they flap <laughs> their 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 meat together. They can even sing by squirting air through their meat. There we go. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so he he calls it a science fiction jazz chamber opera. So there you go, and it's available on uh, Amazon.com, and it's uh, it's neat to check it out. Um, it's a great short story. It was done originally um, for eighty nine cents. You can get it for on Amazon. Wow, cheap. Yep. Hmm. They did it uh, originally for uh, senior theater at one point as well. Uh huh. Um, I don't. It was not musical, but it was like a little um, audio drama. Wow. And then. I, well, I've I seen it. A, I missed a lot on that seeing ear theater. I need to. You really did. Yeah, and there's I mean, not much not, left. Yeah, not I much, mean, you can't find very much anymore. Right, right. Um, if you do a search on, um, I guess it's, I was going to say Mini Nova, but Mini Nova is dead now. Uh, if you do a search on uh, the Pirate Bay, uh, I think they have J. Michael Straczynski's. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, it looks like uh, Dove, Dove actually published this on cassette. On the, they're made out of meat. No, I, uh, let's see. I, I just looked up. I just looked up Senior Theater. Yeah. And Dove has three sets. Uh, had three sets. Uh, yep, they're made out of meat. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, I have that then. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Dove. This. Uh, okay, two cassettes. Uh, they have uh, three odd comedies by Terry Bison. They're made out of meat. The Toxic Donu and Next Bison. Oh, sorry. Uh, they're made out of meat. The Toxic Donu and Donut. Oh. Toxic Donut. Okay, they they left the T off. And next. And then they've got, um, on the same two-cassette thing, they have Into the Sun, Think Like a Dinosaur, The Death of Captain Future, A Clean Escape, and The Bigger One. Does it list the authors of those? No, it doesn't. Um, I know who they are. Clean Escape is John Kessel. Yeah, I Think Like a Dinosaur is... uh, It's James Patrick Kelly. James Patrick Kelly, yeah. The Death of Captain Future, isn't that Alan Steele? Yes. Cool. I need to find these, and then um, um, they are listed on our senior theater page if we have it. Very cool. Uh, but they're they're going to be very hard to get. They're cassette, yes. uh-huh. and they're going to be used and expensive on eBay. Right, right. But very fun stuff and well done audio drama. That's cool. Daughter Earth by James Morrow. You know, there's a guy who uh, doesn't exist on audio that would probably be uh, popular. I read a book. James Morrow? Yeah. I read a book of his called um, This is the Way the World Ends. That was really good. 
And he wrote one called Towing Jehovah, which was about God actually dying and falling into the ocean. Right. <laughs> I remember the cover. I haven't read that book, but... They're towing him off to sea yeah. or something. And then I read uh, some short stories of his called Bible Stories for Adults. And uh, it was interesting. You know, he's not a, a religion fan, to say the very least. Um, but it's interesting to read. See, there's an example. Should I boycott him? Or should I read him? <laughs> yes, you should boycott him. No, I Boycott anything you disagree with. That's, that way you will know nothing and no, have no opinions. That's exactly right. I think that's the way we should all live. That's definitely the way. We, hey, I'm boycotting you because you don't agree with me on how to make a coffee. <laughs> you know what? That's actually, that's actually um, not a good argument because there is a, um, there is a difference between uh, disagreements over you know, how, how something should be done. Like, there's different levels of disagreement. I, he's not saying I'm going to put, I, I want to put all homosexuals in concentration camps, mm -hmm, but he's, mm -hmm. he's saying um, you're sinning and bad, right? Uh -huh. that's, a, that's a bit different than, than, you know, I disagree on how to make coffee, right? Right, right. Yeah. It is a, a, quite a strong position. Now, obviously, he, he doesn't take it that way, I guess, but, um, yeah, you don't boycott it, him, because he's a. Uh, uh, no, just boycott him if he's a bad writer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he's not. He's a good writer, unfortunately. So you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't just boycott him for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, did you happen to hear Luke's latest show? Uh, I heard the just the opening about twenty five minutes so far. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's talking about anathem. Yes. Uh huh. And it actually makes it re sound really interesting. Oh and yeah, I, I really want to read that thing. Don't don't uh, you have it? Yes, I have it on audio. Um, oh okay. But remember, I started to listen to it, and I found it uh, very hard to follow. That's what he he's saying is it's uh -huh. it's two people. You know, there's two kinds of people: the people who who stick through it and and find it. Uh, fascinating, mm -hmm. and then the people who who uh, give up on it, and yeah. it seems that more people give up on it than than stick yeah, with I it. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it I find it fascinating, and I really want to uh, read it. But I guess my point is that uh, um, on audio, I you know I was assuming it was because I was looking at it on it. I read complex books, you know. Yeah, but uh, but he, he's read the text version. He didn't listen oh, to the audio. Yeah, of version. course. Uh -huh. But I don't know. I, I was finding it difficult to follow on audio. Uh, I think that there may be the case that this is not a good choice for an audiobook. And, it's possible, yeah. Because yeah. Um, he's saying that there's lots of um, words that, you know, most of the words are, or many of the words are made up for this book because it's uh, a completely different universe, right. but it's very analogous. So It makes it difficult. Yeah, right. Will, William DeFries did the reading, and he's terrific, you know, he, he yeah. did a great job. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try it again on, in print. And I did hear him say... I remember we had a brief conversation about Snow Crash one time, and I loved Snow Crash. And Snow Crash mm -hmm. was a, a fantastic audiobook. That's the first time I heard Jonathan Davis read. Um, I still haven't heard that. Yeah, and then uh, The Diamond Age is also excellent on audio, and that's Jennifer Wiltsey. She read that one. And both absolutely terrific, both available on Audible. And um, anyway, so he was just kind of making the... I don't know if he was arguing this, or but he was making the point that you know, hey, it looks like folks who liked Snow Crash maybe don't like this one. Yeah, 
you know, so... All the reviews say, you know, I liked Snow Crash, but mm-hmm. I don't like Anathem. Yeah, but I, I I expect to enjoy Anathem, but, you know, I'm not positive, but... That sounds kind like of a book. real challenge, you got, though. You, know, you it's got like monks and books, stuff. Right? I mean, what's better? I'm in. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't got to it yet, but I'm going to try it in print. They have it at your local library? They do, actually. You can do both. You can I can listen do both. All. Listen and, and read. <laughs> could could work. Sure. Yes, I could. <laughs> but, um, uh, let's see. I think there was a couple other stories um, on the website recently. Uh, the, there's a guy who does um, musical, musical science fiction. Science fiction music. Sci-fi songs is what his website's called. Uh-huh. And he did a... Um, a ballad for it's called the Ballad of Wilson Cole, which is the main character in Mike Resnick's Starship series. The yeah. series yeah. that I really yeah. am enjoying. Right. Um, but still want to read all it, of it. It's still one more book them? coming up. Oh. One more book coming, and it's coming out this month. And then is so, that the end, or is it going to be? That's yeah. the end. That's oh. the end. Okay. As far as I know, that's the end. Uh-huh. Final volume. So unless they, you know, nice. add one two years down the road or something. Um, but the the final verse is. Spoilers, so oh. I'm going to avoid it just in all case. All right, all right. Um, cool. And uh, the other thing that was uh, hot was the Ring World, um, which I assume is no longer available. But if it is, uh, go get it right now on Audible. Did you get a copy of Ring World? Uh, no, I had one already. I, I've had that for a long on, time. On Audible? I did actually. Yeah, it, okay. I, I got it from Audible long, long time ago. And uh, that's the one, the, the cassette version. Uh huh. And I just wow! Instead of converting it, you know, laboriously, one cassette at a time mm-hmm. on Audible, it's much more convenient. I haven't heard it in maybe ten years, so. Uh huh. Yeah. I didn't realize that was Grover Gardner. So. Oh yeah, Tom Parker. Tom Parker. He's... Yep. Yep. So yeah, very cool. <clears throat> What's that? Okie dokie. Okie dokie. You bet. Um, the only other thing that uh, is really notable is um, Audible's latest stuff. What do you got? Um, let me call it up here. Da, 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 da. It's coming. Uh, William Gibson. Have we talked about him? Mm-hmm. We did? Okay. So then a- after him, well, they, they've got four audiobooks by William Gibson. Maybe we did mention that last time. I think there was a um, Count Zero was the new one. Okay, they've actually got four of them now. Uh, uh, Burning Chrome, uh, that, yeah. that, that was new. I don't think we talked about that. That's okay, that so we've got, right? yeah, and they kind of released them in a big bunch here. they got Mona Lisa Overdrive, um, read by Jonathan Davis. Count Zero, read by Jonathan Davis. Burning Chrome, read by lots of folks, including Jonathan Davis, Dennis Holland. Kevin, is that a short story collection, Burning Chrome? Yeah, it's okay. a really good short story collection. The title Great. story is excellent. Good. And then All Tomorrow's Parties, also read by Jonathan Davis. So. I had thought that that was released originally, but I, uh, no. I guess not. Um, okay. When it came out, it's a mo- relatively modern one. It's only a couple years old, All Tomorrow's Parties. Yep, so they've got uh, those four books. And then um, they've released a couple of Ursula K. Le Guin's, uh, one called The Telling, which, uh, oops, let me back up here. Oh, let me go forward. Anyway... Uh, they got the word for, for world. The is word forest. for world is forest, and the telling. 
Um, the word for world, word is, for world is forest. It's been released before in a very it's a lengthy abridged version by Book of the Road. Excellent mm-hmm. book. Oh, good. Uh-huh. And this one's narrated by Kevin Pariseau. Uh Did you see the Heinlein release? Um, no. They have a new Heinlein release on Audible Frontiers. The Unpleasant Profession. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. it's actually from Blackstone, but. Oh, okay. uh, uh, read by Tom Weiner. That should be really good. Okay. And then um, two John Wyndham novels were also released by Audible Frontiers. The Day of the Triffids, read by Graham Malcolm. And The Chrysalids, also read by Graham Malcolm. And those are uh, short novels. Uh, seven hours and six... Well, they're both seven. Six hours and 53 minutes is close enough to seven. Yeah, sure is. And then three more Honor Harrington novels. Well, actually four. They released a, what do you call a, a fistful of uh, <laughs> fistful of Honor Harrington. Um, huh. Allison Johnson read all four, and the four they released are War of Honor, Echoes of Honor, At All Costs, and Ashes of Victory. So, those are the latest from Audible Frontiers. I just spotted one there that looks interesting. It's called... Plague of the Dead. That's Plague also, of the Dead. dead yeah. Dead. Um, book one in the morning uh, is the Morning Star Strain. I guess b- maybe Plague of the Dead is the series name. Mm-hmm. Um, says the end begins with a viral outbreak unlike anything mankind has ever encountered before. The infected are subject to delirium, fever, a dramatic increase in violent behavior, and a one hundred percent mortality rate. Ooh. You know that makes me think that. Uh, Humanity's encountered that in fiction before. Maybe it's time for a uh, a plague that infects everyone, makes them calm, elected, <laughs> reasonable, rational, no, and subject to nonviolent behavior. We, like, we ought to write that party. story. That'd take a, about half a page. It's terrible! Stop them! <laughs> We're buying all the tea! <laughs> oh, I love it. Hey, this is fantastic news for me because I can't wait to hear it. A Deepness in the Sky by Werner Vigie, yeah. narrated by Peter Larkin. And that's actually a Macmillan title. I don't know if it's exclusive to Audible or not. Well, they've done that before. so They sure good. have, yeah. I haven't seen a hard copy of that one, but that's Macmillan. It looks like they threw some of your Blake 7 out there. Oh, did they? Yeah, Blake 7, Rebel, oh, Liberator, Cali, Travis. See if they have my quotes on the reviews. Um, That's cool because I I actually helped them. I gave them some contact information for Audible because they they really um, they want to get distribution. They really deserve it. Their their stuff is terrific. Good. Um, Just trying to see. uh, They've got series one, episode three. They've got series one, episode one, but uh, they're sort of jumbled in this in this class. So I guess I should sort by release date, maybe. Yeah, I see four of them, and it looks like they're missing one. I see one, two, three, five. Well, the thing is, is there's the um, the Blake Seven Audio Adventures Series One mm-hmm. that comes oh a chrono- chronologically first in the releases, uh-huh. but then there's the the early adventures, which are the early years, which is a prequel series to uh-huh. what happens before. Okay, uh, so you could actually listen either way. Uh, but probably, like you said uh, a while ago, the best way to read a series is always in the order of their release. Mm-hmm. 
um, rather than the order of their, uh, you know, chronologically. Mm-hmm. Because um, they, they'll, fill, they'll fill in any details that you need um, in the, the chronological releases, right? Uh, if yep. they're doing it properly, and they do do it properly here. It's the way I heard it, so I, I would say it's a okay. way to go. Sounds good. They haven't they haven't released a final volume, but in, in here it looks like. But um, I'm looking forward to that. There's one more set in the um, the uh, new not new adventures, the early years collection. One more CD to go. Okay. Price is uh, price is um, not bad. Fourteen bucks, twelve bucks. I'm wondering though if they can bundle them and get them in a, a set and probably do a better better business for the people who are um you know like if you're on the plan mm-hmm. should give them a, a free release to whet everyone's appetite because yeah, these yeah. things are so good have you heard any of these yet i have not oh we gotta get you yeah and they're audio drama correct yeah a hundred percent audio drama mm-hmm. um really really well told stories with um it feels like a lot more actors than they actually have. Mm-hmm. They have like maybe, and the early adventures or the earlier series, they have like two or three or four actors, and they tell a hell of a story with just two or three or four actors. Sometimes there's five actors, um, but they don't have to double up. Like there isn't one guy who's doing you know four, four or five roles. Mm-hmm. It's the scripts are written in such a way as to um, not be about you know all the other stuff. It's it's really. They're very, very well written oh, cool. stories. Great, and they're 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 a really interesting combination of so, space opera and science fiction, like science fiction of the social science fiction kind. It's not, you know, they they sort of do their best with the, um, you know, like Babylon Five did with hard SF. They tried their best to mm-hmm. make it as hard SF as they could with the spaceships. Uh, you know, not doing arcs and big curves when they're shooting around. It's very similar in that respect. They try and keep it as close to uh, real physics as they can, uh-huh. but they also will ignore that if it's if it's the part of the story that they're trying to tell, which is you know about people and about social conditions. And it's really, I mean, the thing is, is it's iconic in the same way that uh, Robin Hood is iconic. Mm-hmm. It's very much like uh, a story of a combination of Robin Hood and Brave New World and um, 1984 okay. in space. Gotcha. Which I think is a, a good collection. Yeah, yeah. They got a, a lot of the writers here worked on the new Doctor Who as well. Oh, really? So, That's yeah, cool. Ben Aronovich and, and uh, crew. Good. And James. All right, yeah, I did need to check that out. It's cool. Uh, when did these spot uh, spot on? When did they oh, go on? Just this week. Yeah, just this week, yep. yep. I'm looking at the newest releases. You know. Yeah. Um, they're not in the science fiction section, though. No? What? What? You're just looking at just general new releases? No, I, I looked at um, the science fiction new releases. Really? Um, yeah. Let me for some just, reason it didn't show up for me. I'm going back there. New releases, mm-hmm. or just added. Maybe I was looking at just added versus new releases. 
No, I'm, I'm looking. Yeah, it's in science fiction. I'm looking at the science fiction and fantasy uh, by release date. Okay. Um, um, one other one like that, that's interesting Stanislaw here. Lem there. Uh, there should be three. Which one is it? And um, I'm listening it, to one of those right now, and I need to finish it up. But it's it's just like, am I missing something? You know, it's a. Uh, it could be a Terry Gilliam movie. Um, it's about this uh, guy. It's called uh, Memoirs from a Bathtub. Right. And it's uh, about a guy. He goes into this building, you know, and uh, he's uh, says, oh, you know, he, he's going to be a spy, right? So they, they he says, you know, well, what's my assignment? And then the guy is just, the guy he's talking to makes no sense at all. It's like, um, you remember 12 Monkeys? Mm-hmm. How uh, confused everything was and... Uh, I think it was the main character in Twelve Monkeys had no idea what he was doing most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a lot like that. He's like, you know, what's my assignment? And the guy just saying, your assignment's very important, and uh, <laughs> you're gonna need to you're gonna need to search, you're gonna need to uh, report, and you're gonna need to do this. But he doesn't tell what he's supposed to do all this on. And, it sounds and then a little he ends like, up uh, getting passed on to the next person, you know, and Kafka uh, and Philip K. Dick too. Yeah. <laughs> So he's he's walking around. He has no idea what his assignment is, and he's talking to people. You know, he talks to uh, generals and these guys. Uh, it, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. It's like uh, you know they're not making any sense at all. Um, and he's trying to make his way through it. It's about a six-hour audiobook, um, but and I'm almost finished with it. I, I so I'll get that reviewed. So what do you think so far? I, I really like it, but I I just am wondering. You know, like I, it's one of those books where if you miss some of it, if I miss some of it, I feel that I have to get back. So, um, if I find my mind wandering and I'm listening to him and I'm like, okay, well, where is he now? For sure, I've got to go back. Ah. Uh, um, you know, some some novels are are much easier to keep up with than that. So this one requires my full attention. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that makes me think of what I've been listening to. Um, I've been listening to The Unincorporated Man. Have I told you about this yeah, book? Yeah, sure did. Uh-huh. Um, just about finished. I'm just kind of saving the end because I want to uh, listen and then write write the review right away so uh-huh. that I have everything fresh in my mind. Um, it's a uh, really uh, – I'm really surprised not everybody's talking about this book because it's um, – I think the closest analogy I can say is it's like um, it's like Stranger in a Strange Land. It's a it's a big ideas um, you know book, uh, a book that I would think would be more engaging than I've heard people. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this book, and I think um, that that's really surprising given how uh, impressive the the uh, it, I, this, as far as I know this is a d- debut by a couple of. Um, uh, new authors, I think they're brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but um, it's it's uh, sort of a, got a lot of standard science fiction stuff. Um, you know, future future uh, flying cars and uh, you know asteroid mining and all that stuff. But the, it's also got one brand new idea that I've never seen anywhere else in science fiction, and it's a good idea, which is um, what would the world be like? If every person was a corporation, hmm. um, how would that be good and how would it be bad? And it's uh, a deep exploration of this idea, and it's very impressive. I'm a little bit worried that it's going to be a series uh-huh. because there's some stuff that's – I'm like an hour away from the end, and there's some stuff that's set up. 
that uh-huh. makes me think, uh-oh, they might not resolve this. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who um, wrote it? Um, yeah, yeah, that's the hard part. Um, Incorporated Man, is it on Audible? It's colon, uh, colon, yeah. Uh, it's actually Tantor. I'm not oh. sure if it's on audio. Oh, there it is. Yeah, on Audible it uh, is. On Audible, I mean. Is it there? Yeah, it's by Danny Colon and Eaton Colon. Yeah, Eaton Colon. Narrated, yeah. narrated by Todd McLaren. Yeah, he's great. Well, it's a um, big one, 23 hours. It's a big book. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting about it is uh, it feels a little bit like, um, like I said, it, it feels like Stranger in a Strange Land, but it also feels a little bit like uh, Richard Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think one of the reasons it feels like Richard Morgan is because Todd McLaren did the narration on uh, Altered Carbon, mm-hmm. and it, they're both set in the future uh, on Earth. And um, that's about where it, I guess it ends in the comparison to Richard Morgan. But um, I am really impressed with this book so far. Okay. Really impressed. Very nice. Uh, it's uh, it won the Prometheus Award, which is a, a famous award in the sense that it's a science fiction libertarian award. Huh. Uh, sort of, I guess, following in the tradition of uh, Heinleinian style libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book definitely follows in that tradition. There's a website, theunincorporatedman.com. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really I'm thinking this might be an excellent book. Good. Finish it off and see. Okay, great. Uh, the other thing um, I'm listening to, I just started, is uh, "Collapse" by Jared Diamond. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, Jared yeah. Diamond from uh, right. From he wrote the, uh, uh, the one about the civilization. Uh, uh, guns, germs, and steel. Yeah, he's a anthropologist, and so he his uh, his thing is I'll answer some questions uh, by exploring what reality looks like uh, in history, right? Historical mm-hmm. realities, and um, this is I guess about the ends of civilization rather than you know how civilization develops, but this is about how it collapses, and he, he talks about Easter Island. Uh, you know what what's different between Easter Island and and uh, you know why? Why, why did Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian civilization not collapse? And you know they didn't completely wipe out their ecosystem. Uh, what happened in Easter Island? Is it just geography, or was it social and geography, or what, what's what's the story, right? Mm-hmm. And he he starts off the book with a really interesting take on um, on uh, our society. He talks about a. Uh, two different farms. One is um, uh, got you know a giant barn with four hundred or so uh, cattle in inside. Another one has uh, another one in another place has uh, a massive barn with nearly four hundred. And he talks about how they're very very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how you know they're putting this kind of stress on the environment, you know, with the uh, soil erosion and all that. Um, and then he ends it by telling you where these places are. One is in uh, Montana today, mm-hmm. and the other is in Greenland a thousand years ago. Huh. And you say, well, what happened to Greenland? Well, they got wiped out. <laughs> um, what's the difference? Well, that's the question. What, why did that civilization end? And yet uh, Montana is still going, even though it's having some environmental difficulties of its own. Um, and basically it's saying, you know, uh, everything's much more complex. Everything is much more complex than 
you know, can be reduced to a soundbite on, uh, you know, global warming is happening. That's not, that's mm-hmm. not enough. Mm-hmm. You need a lot more data. You need a lot more understanding of what the way the world works. And that is, it's not to say it's, a, you know, uh, a screed against uh, global warming. It actually has very, very little mention of that. It's just, um, the issues are, uh, when, when you're talking about ecosystems, these are the most complex things that we interact with. Right? There's nothing more complex uh, that we interact with except for even, even a human body is a giant to us. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't understand diseases very well. We think we do, but really we can't cure many kinds of diseases. We don't know how to control. We don't even know how the interactions happen in many cases. Um, but imagine that on a planetary scale where everything affects everything else. And that's amazingly impressive uh, amount of information to, to take in and, and think you can get a handle on. Well, he, that's what he's sort of doing. He's saying, what happened in history and how did it happen that way? And being an anthropologist, he, he, he tends to see um, uh, geography as really important. I, I think this is a really interesting idea that geography is that important in in uh, understanding how the world came to be as it is and how it will be in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very, you know, I, I like science fiction and I love, uh, you know, science fiction ideas, but there's nothing wrong with adding in a little bit of nonfiction or history to help you uh, access. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. I liked Guns, Good. Rooms, and Steel quite a bit. That was one I read a while back. <clears throat> and uh yeah right now <clears throat> in the nonfiction area i'm listening to uh uh teaching i think it's the teaching company mm-hmm. um course on world war ii that i've had for a bit oh, cool. um, i'm about 10 lectures out of 30 from the end and uh how's it going who's winning <laughs> so far hitler is doing a good job oh no yeah Oh, I hope it turns out better than that. We're hoping that our our legions of video gamers will be able to send them back. Definitely. <laughs> if I just get my DRM to work, we'll be we're good to go. Yeah, it's by Professor Thomas Childers, World War II: A Military and Social History from the Teaching Company. Thirty lectures. Oh, that reminds me. One of the other books I got. Um, I sent you a couple of photos of uh, the. Uh, painting and the um, yeah the image from from these two uh, framed images I got on the Sunshine Coast and um, the other thing I got was a collection of uh, World War II books from the 1960s. My dad's uh, World War II sort of they're kind of like time life books, mm-hmm. uh, military history of World War II, and um, I was reading through them and one of the um, one of the pages is talking about uh, one of the sections is talking about the strategic uh, usefulness of the different armies and who, who had motivation to fight and who didn't. And mm-hmm. um, there was this great line. I, I've told it a couple times and nobody laughs, but I thought it was the greatest joke ever. Um, there's a couple of lines about how the different navies um, were effective or not, right? Uh-huh. And uh, the joke goes like this. Um, uh, different sailors like different drinks. Americans prefer whiskey. The British prefer rum. 
the Italians stick to port. <laughs> That's the joke. Very nice. <laughs> because the Italians <laughs> tend to sink when they go out to port. <laughs> when you have to explain the joke, I guess that. <laughs> but I thought it was really funny. Um, that was good. Something they said. Um, the uh, except I'm finding out there is an exception. Uh, the Italian frogmen apparently were kick-ass mm-hmm. uh, World War Two, but everything else. And th- there's another podcast I think I was listening to also mentioning um, uh, why why perhaps Italians were not the greatest soldiers in World War One or World War Two. Um, you know, Americans like to say uh, the French are good at one thing, and that's surrendering, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I I think that's uh, funny, but I'm not sure it's it's accurate. They, they did a hell of a hell of a job in World War One, um, but in World War Two, they sort of got sold out from under them. But in in uh, the case of the Italians, they changed sides in World War One, and they kind of changed sides in World War Two as well. This is. Um, this is kind of a strange situation, but uh, one of the explanations I heard was that the Italians in World War I and World War II were notorious for being bad soldiers because they weren't winning battles. But the, the point the person was making was that it's a good, a good argument can be made that the Italian soldiers were bad soldiers because they had no motivation to do what they were being told. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think of how World War II ended for... For Benito Mussolini, right? Uh-huh. Uh, as in being hanged by his people, um, they really were being led astray, and that their motivation was not as strong as, say, the Nazis was. Right. To, their their leadership was not up to the or, or not uh, did not have the support of the people, and I think that that is a better explanation than just saying Italians are not good at fighting because this is the people who conquered all of Europe at one point, right? Right, right. Anyways, that's enough on history. You bet, you bet. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we call it a year? Call it a year. That's the end. That's the end. See you next year. You bet. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.